Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss Suspicious Minds, episode 10 of season four. This is our first episode back and Supergirl's first episode back from the hiatus. We do have two episodes of hiatus topics for you guys, if you haven't been keeping up, that are relevant to this. So They are. And so those ones, we asked for people's suggestions on what to talk about. And uh, y'all made some good choices <laughs> because the two that we had from over the break were the Danvers family focusing on the dynamic between Eliza, Alex, and Kara. And the other one was specifically about Jean. Mm -hmm. And all of those things were really relevant in this episode. And so it was kind of interesting in this first episode back after we'd had the kind of big, almost cliffhanger-y standoff with Kara and Lockwood. And you had these mass protests and Kara's kind of standoff with the president. Mm -hmm. And then all the big stuff of Elseworlds to come back to this episode that was very narrow in its focus in some ways because it really honed in on the main cast and focused on most of our core characters and kind of checking in with where they are and setting up kind of their big turns for the second act of the season. Yeah, which is always a fun time. It sure was something. (laughs) We have some feelings and and thoughts to share with you guys. (laughs) I am not quite sure I'm over it yet. (laughs) definitely aren't. I'm not. I'm really not. I'm like not okay. So, and one of the first check-ins we got was well, technically not one of our core characters, but also kind of, yes? Yeah. The best of both worlds, you might say. <laughs> yes, because we got to see a brief glimpse of Cosnian Kara. Mm-hmm. And at first, they actually framed it so you weren't quite sure if it was her or just normal Kara until we got a little bit of a closer look, which mm. will be interesting to see going going forward because I think that's part of the point. Mm, Yes. But it was interesting to see the sort of contrasts in that short little sequence between Cosney and Kara and our Kara. So we see Cosney and Kara training and she is fighting drones and there's this missile there. And a random tank. (laughs) Yeah. Random tank. And it's interesting because we saw Kara in season one in the Stronger Together episode, which is the second episode. Jean put her through some training exercises and and sort of to like test her and see where she's at. And it involved her like speeding in the air to avoid missiles that were headed toward her. So it was kind of like we're seeing Cosney and Kara's origin season one, you know? A little bit, but it's actually interesting that you point out that Jean was giving Kara opportunities to learn how to like dodge and do defensive kind of maneuvers and contain mm. problems, whereas this Kara was very aggressively kind of like coming straight at things. Mm. But not unlike how actual Kara kind of deals with problems, depending on what they are Yeah. now. But it was just, it's interesting to see the difference in approach mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, which may have to do with the task that was put forth by Jean and in Kazanin Kara's case, the Russian dudes we saw. And it was also a little fun transition where her like supervisors. Her fitness instructor. <laughs> her fitness instructor. He said to train her harder, probably in anticipation for something bigger. My mind goes straight to she's going to fight Supergirl. But so he says, train her harder. And then we cut to Kara, like, quote unquote, training in the gym on the bike while pretending to. She's working so hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just funny because we have this contrast of Kara, like, pretending to have to, like, push herself versus the Kosnian Kara, who's very definitely, like, tunnel vision focused on this. You noted that they had similar outfits. Yeah, that was a nice touch as far as Kara. 
costuming when we got the cut away from um, Kosny and Kara in her very Soviet-looking jumpsuit. We saw Kara wearing very similar workout gear. It was the same color, kind of styled the same way. Yeah. And it was interesting because we saw that little exchange that the two Russian men had of like, can she be controlled? Our friend is working on it. So there's this mysterious person who is like influencing Kosny and Kara in some way. Mm. So I'm like, does Kosny and Kara have some sort of like Alex person in her life? Hmm. That's a good question. Is it perhaps not just Mother Russia that (laughs) Cosney and Carr connects to? Oh, but it seems interesting that they've been training her in all of these different things if they're not sure that they can control what she does. Mm, Quite risky. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. And so these parallel situations of like Carr in America and the other Carr in Cosnia, we're seeing these cases of human governments interacting with aliens and, and seeing how they treat them and how they use them in several different ways in this episode. So on the one hand, we have in Cosnia, the people we saw trying to control that Kara. And then we see that, on the other hand, Colonel Haley is having a, a much more difficult time trying to control our Kara. Yeah. And then we also have the kind of parallel story that Kara uncovers with Jean's help throughout the episode with the Morai, who we find out were child aliens taken by the government and trained to be assassins, hmm. which is terrifying when we find out exactly what happened. And when you you hear the way that Colonel Haley describes it to Alex. Yeah, Haley says that she uses trauma as a method of obedience, which is kind of interesting. In a few episodes, we've discussed the use of language by the characters in Supergirl. And specifically, we've talked about how language can kind of dehumanize mm. someone. And, and so this like trauma as a method of obedience is a very like sanitized way of describing the kind of abuse that she obviously performed on the aliens. And the other really critical thing in the choice of language in this is that she mentions that this is standard protocol with tender age aliens and that word choice was extremely deliberate Mm. the writers of the show were very actively outspoken this past summer about the immigration policy reveals that the trump administration was separating children from their families at the border and one of the things that was in the news a lot around the time of a lot of those protests was the discovery that the government had established multiple what are called tender age shelters Mm. and essentially tender age means children 13 and under Mm. which also means that would have been cara yeah. And we see Kara, there's like this horror because this is what the Danvers family on some level feared during Kara's whole childhood, like that the DEO would come and, and take Kara away and then do whatever the hell they wanted to her. Mm-hmm. And you have actually that scene where Henshaw shows up and Eliza's like, I'm not going to let you take her. Yeah. Which, given this episode, is uh, a nice continuity thing. Yes. But the other part about this that's a fascinating contrast when we bring up, like, you know, the Danvers and how they were kind of afraid of what would happen to Kara because they knew pretty clearly what would happen is Haley's explanation of, well, if these aliens feared us, they'd obey us. And then you think back to Midvale Mm. and the ways that Eliza got through to Kara were completely the opposite of that. And the reasons that Kara felt any kind of desire to 
to respect that authority had nothing to do with being afraid and everything to do with the fact that like she cared about those people. Yeah. In a sense, that kind of ties back into that hope versus fear Mm -hmm. theme we have because we have the one character whose ideology is based in using fear as a tool to try to control people versus um, the situation we saw with the Danvers family where really it was Kara opening herself up to hope that she could have, you know, those kind of connections again after her loss that bound her to the Danvers family. So yeah, when you consider all of that and Kara's feelings on it, and then also when you consider Alex as someone who grew up in that household and saw the contrast between, you know, the way her family respected aliens and the way the DEO, as she's learning, did all these other things that either obviously Jean didn't do anymore by the time she was there or she didn't ever know about. Mm. When we get to the point where Kara and Alex are trying to reason with the one alien that they managed to stop and when it hears the DEO, it that part was really brutal. Like It kills itself. Yeah. They really pulled no punches, like writing this storyline in terms of that, like the alien says no D.O., no Haley and would rather die than go back there. Yeah, which doesn't speak well to the the turn that the D.O. might be taking anytime soon. Hmm. And you see that very clearly in Alex's confrontation with Haley later in the episode. And again, this is one of those things where Alex is being a little bit more Kara-like and is almost playing her hand a little bit too much. Hmm. And I get, like, I get why she's obviously very angry at finding out that Haley was involved in all of this stuff. And one of the things that she says, Haley tries to write off her treatment of the Morai as saying, like, eh, whatever, they were aliens, it doesn't matter. And Alex comes back and was like, yeah, but they were sentient beings. And that kind of relates back to when we talked about medical ethics with um, an evolutionary matter several episodes ago, because there are extremely strict rules for experimenting with any kind of animal. And the more aware that they might be of what you're doing, the more rules and protocols there are. And Alex is someone who trained as a doctor, of course, would know that. Mm. And so it's completely in character to see her being so deeply offended by all of this oh yeah <laughs> yeah well, of course, i mean like um, he, alex also has like car including you know. like a cara and jean <laughs> yes <laughs> And Alex's complete distaste for Haley extends to the fact that Alex realizes that Colonel Haley doesn't have necessarily any ethical lines that she won't cross. And that's when I think Alex recognizes that this threat to Kara is a lot more serious yeah. than they, they had initially anticipated. And then you start to see that in the ways that Haley interacts with Kara in this episode. Yeah, we see Kelly has zero reservations about going straight to blackmailing Supergirl and like her end game from the very beginning. Like the first time we see her is like, I'm going to find out who Supergirl is. I'm going to use that against her so that I can control her. And there's no other effort to do it in like a normal, like just be nice and cooperate with her (laughs) kind of way. And and just doesn't seem like the type of person who would be that difficult to have like a normal conversation with and come to an agreement. Yeah. Like if, if Haley has a reason that she doesn't want her to do something, like a real reason that isn't just Haley having a power trip, then Carr is likely to go along with it. Yeah. And that's one of the major issues that comes up with Haley repeatedly throughout this episode. And we've seen it before is she's so fixated on having and wielding power over others. Yeah. She keeps trying to like assert her power in situations that 
don't make entire sense. She's like trying to mm. grasp more power than she should rightfully have for like her position. Yeah, considering she's supposed to have been there as an oversight, like an observer mm. checking to see what's going on. Instead, it's a little bit similar to what we saw with General Lane in season one where he shows up and is like, I am the boss now. <laughs> Yeah, it's Although true. she's like initially a little more polite about it, yeah. but but well, not. You know, once she realizes that she can't just make things happen the way she wants, then she takes more control and um, limits everyone else's. But initially, I, I definitely was like, that would be like a situation where she goes and reports like to the president and then it's a whole thing that way. Yeah. But really, it's just been Haley for the past like few episodes. True. Yeah. And she it starts out with just the most silly things where she tells Carl what to do like she can really enforce any of it yeah it was like Kara went and, and like saved somebody during her like free time <laughs> yeah and was like no Kara's like I'm a free citizen I do what I want <laughs> yes and then the whole power play with forcing Alex to salute her, even Mm -hmm. though Alex is not part of the military. Yeah. And then it escalates to the point where when she does find out who Kara is, she threatens both Kara and Alex. So she threatens Kara by attempting to conscript her back into service and kind of blackmailing her by saying, well, I know your identity, so I can make your life miserable. Although I do wonder if she thought through the consequences of making a journalist disappear. (laughs) Um, yeah, right. <laughs> wouldn't be a good look, no. especially not knowing James Olsen, friend of Superman, runs Catco. Mm. And she also tries to exert similar control over Alex and starts threatening her and saying, well, if you interfere, even though you're the boss of this whole organization, <laughs> I will find some way to bring you up to a military tribunal, which is different than a regular court of law. Like the normal rules don't apply there. So mm. like that's a good threat too. Hmm. Yeah. And it's even like little things like her telling Car to move aside and then saying that's an order. And Car's like, I don't work for you anymore. <laughs> you can't order me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Haley has no like self-restraint in terms of that. I think it ties into her perception of aliens as well. Hmm. Like the way she talks about Supergirl is like the most powerful alien the world is out there. Like a looming threat has that emphasis on Supergirl having that power. Yeah. And then just the fact that she felt the need to begin with with the aliens to use fear to get them to obey. And then she also similarly snaps at Alex when Alex tries to kind of diffuse the situation after Haley makes it clear that she knows who Kara is. Yeah. She's one of those personalities that like when they get more power, you regret it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting because several episodes ago, Alex referred to Colonel Haley as being very like Madame Umbridge from the Harry Potter series. (laughs) So if you're familiar with the book or the movie from Order of the Phoenix, she was sent in as oversight on the school to check up on Dumbledore. Yeah, so we have our Harry Potter stand-in character in Haley. Yep, and she definitely is a good example of all the reasons why Kara has kept her identity a secret. (laughs) in the first place. Yeah, which is something I like a lot in terms of the storytelling, just because Kara's secret identity is one of the most, like, doubted aspects of the show, and, like, it's not just Supergirl. The uh, concept of, like, oh, they should just tell all their friends and, like, it'll be fine. It's always fine in the story, like, eventually. So this character of Haley really reinforces the fact that Kara having this secret is a necessary thing in her life because people will try to control her and it reinforces 
reinforces the ideas that we've heard a lot from Supergirl, but haven't seen much demonstration of the idea mm. um, since like season one with Maxwell Lord, who was a threat. Or even how they kept it a secret from Lucy for a large part of the season as well. Yeah. And then you found a quote from one of the showrunners that is kind of talking about where Colonel Haley is going later on in the season, because this was really probably the deepest insight we've gotten into her thus far Yeah, in terms of, of her personality and kind of where she's coming from and, and whether or not there's anything redeemable about her. Yeah, one of the showrunners, Queller, said, like most of us, Haley is a mixture of things. She may not always be in the same side we're on, but she's a company person with a strong sense of integrity. She figures out her own moral stand as the season progresses, and she really evolves as a character, which is interesting. Technically, she could evolve <laughs> in a negative way. She could. I'm pretty sure that's not quite what they mean. Yeah. At least I hope not. I don't get the vibe that they meant it that way, but... I don't think so. That'd be a real dark take <laughs> for this show. Yes. Like, everything is terrible. <laughs> Trust nothing. Like, Things only get worse. <laughs> society is doomed. <laughs> But it's interesting that, that she says that she's a company person with a strong sense of integrity because we see... <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> yeah, we see in this episode that she has, like, as Alex said, like, she has no line she won't cross. Although, you do see a little bit in the exchange with Alex that she may have some regrets. Yeah. About some of the things that she did. It was a nice performance by this actress. I like her a lot. Mm, yeah. April Parker has been doing a really good job with Haley because she could be played as a very um, sort of like two-dimensional character mm. and kind of like how General Lane was in season one. Who, yeah. You know that like they tried to give him some layers so that he wasn't like an entire caricature, but you weren't really supposed to connect with him and like get him in any way. And you're not supposed to like agree with Haley, but she seems like a person. <laughs> she does. Well, and it, they've taken kind of like like the opposite route of what they did with Manchester, mm. where he came across as likable at first, and then you realize he too doesn't really have any lines ethically. Mm. Whereas with Haley, the characters came in expecting to not really find her very trustworthy. Yeah. And it does seem like she's genuinely surprised whenever Kara or Alex like takes the high road. Yeah. Because she didn't really seem to know how to react when Kara <laughs> saved her. Like she definitely thought she kind of deserved her fate because she deliberately left the whole rest of the DEO and like went away mm. on her own to find the last alien. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up this quote and that the showrunners are kind of telegraphing for us that the storyline is going to turn at some point mm -hmm. because we've been kind of keeping an eye on some of the choices as far as casting and the subtextual implications that have been happening throughout this season. And this was a little bit of an issue last season as well. Mm -hmm. And the, one of the things that the show has struggled with since season one, and this is just a result of, you know, the way the casting shook out in the first place, yeah. is that especially among the women, all the principal characters are white, all of them. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that the show, that they're actively trying to diversify when they cast new characters is great, but sometimes that has really unfortunate optical implications because a lot of the characters that you're bringing in are temporary characters or they're meant to stand in opposition to the heroes and that the heroes tell them how they should think or like they learn a lesson or they're a villain. And so mm -hmm. it's been a little bit of an issue so far this season that you bring in all these new characters, but then you find out that they're all either morally ambiguous or they're anti-heroes 
those or you had like General Tan and the random soldier in this episode who both die within about three seconds. And you had that kind of happened like in season two, you had like the unfortunate awkwardness of a black police officer arresting alien families Mm. and stuff like that. And you had the same issue with the world killers as well. And it's not that you shouldn't cast diverse people to play those kinds of roles. And especially these roles for season four, they're great. They're complex roles. They're interesting roles. But you still have, even when there's this attempt at broadening the diversity of the cast and the perspectives, you still run into this issue of, at the end of the day, the moral authority is the dominant white culture. And so I hope that they can continue to make more progress on it. And it helps that most of the regular male characters are not white. But in terms of the female issues, particularly since this is such a female centric show and feminism is such a core part of it, like that still needs work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hopeful that they'll go somewhere good with Colonel Haley. Yeah. And I know we have a few more characters coming in who will hopefully add some things positively to this. Yes. <laughs> we know that, you know, just from Eric Carrasco's Twitter, that it's it's not something they're not aware of. Well, and the other issue, too, that I think fans in particular don't keep in mind is that writers are not responsible for casting. Mm. Like, they write the character description, but I, Supergirl writes really good character descriptions in that they're not full of really like racially coded mm. stereotypes. They're actually like personality traits. <laughs> like yeah. their character descriptions sound like people. <laughs> And that's definitely helped, I think, as far as broadening the range of actors that you get in there. But when you're writing ahead of time and you send out the things to casting, you won't know necessarily when you write parts of the role who's going to get it. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes things that you've already written take on like a weird subtext that wasn't anticipated. And there's not a ton you can do about it. Like Mm -hmm. you can make changes still, but they have at least with the really like intensely not gray just bad characters yes like it seems like the effort is to make sure they're white people yeah white men specifically well and a lot of the characters who would be in places of like social and economic power who are Mm -hmm. villains are white like the almost all the big big bads have been like in season one we had non and astra um and indigo season two raya and the daxamites Season three, we had Morgan Edge. Mm-hmm. The thing with the world killers was unfortunate and weird. Yeah. Because until season three, we had never seen a non-white Kryptonian person. And then all of the ones that we met pretty much turned out to be evil. Mm. That was un- awkward. Yeah. Uh. And it was it was sad because the human version of purity, Julia. Yeah, I was like, I wanted her to stay around. She, she was, was great. awesome. I want them to bring her back as some random character, <laughs> and everyone can just pretend they've never seen her before. We'll, It'll be we'll all make like Alex and forget. <laughs> yes, they can rename her something else that rhymes with Julia. It'll be fine. Fulia, <laughs> get it? Because yeah. of Fulia. <laughs> Fulia. <laughs> Perfect. Well, and then Anivo brought up, too, like, a lot of the East Asian characters that they've had have either died or been evil. Yeah. So. Maybe they, they should develop the one DO agent, the young woman who was, was the first person to promise that she wouldn't. She would try her best yes, to lie. And, and then yeah. it didn't work out well. <laughs> um, and then they ended up wiping their memories at the end. But she'll be a nice character to, like, develop as, you know, how occasionally they'll bring up, like, random yeah. Do agents and make them more important. Like we had Vasquez and then Deimos. Yeah. So maybe we'll get a couple more like filler DEO agents. That'd be nice. Yeah. Brainy can make friends. Yeah. 
That would be nice. Speaking of things that are nice. <laughs> Speaking of things that are nice, we're going to spend a lot of time right now. <laughs> right now. Cozy on in because we're about to, to, to move Welcome. on. Welcome to the best part of this episode, both our <laughs> podcast episode and the episode itself. Also true. We're going to focus on Cara and Alex now mm-hmm. more than we already did. <laughs> true. <laughs> Um, that's, like well, that's been, because we've been talking about them already, but now we're going to talk about just them. Why don't we, we talk about them? <laughs> Doesn't sound right. Who? <laughs> but the reason that we have the chance to talk so much about them is because we got an actual Danver Sisters plot going on. A whole plot line. And it was the A plot. <laughs> yeah. This is the, we haven't really had too many of those since season one. So that's exciting. Yeah. And I know people are well aware that Car and Alex are the sort of heart of the show, but they're often sort of like the setting for the other things that happen. Yeah. And their storylines tend to be like counterweights for each each other's mm-hmm. as opposed to them both having like a shared big storyline. Yeah. And they'll, they'll often sort of emotionally regulate each other and be a balance in that way. But there isn't often a lot of conflict either between each other or them against the world, them against the world in a way that's specific to like their relationship. Because mm. they'll have a lot of like adventures that go on together, but it won't be about the relationship. Yeah. And this situation where we have like an outside force threatening both of them. This was like, an excellent opportunity for character work in a way that felt really reminiscent of some of the early episodes of season one when they were establishing and building these relationships so that Mm. we would love them. Yes. So that was a treat. And then they stole the treat from my hands (laughs) and made it sad. And I was happy (laughs) while also being sad. Another Harry Potter reference. uh, You're going to suffer, (laughs) but you're going to be happy about it. (laughs) Yep. That is definitely the motto of this episode. Yes. (laughs) That's also my personal motto. You definitely were having a little too much joy in your own way about the fact that this was such an angsty episode. Although, in fairness, I also reached that point where I was just like relishing in how stressful it was. Wow. I was like, ah, great. <laughs> great. This is terrible. I love it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the episode started off well, where they were like separated. Car's not at the DO anymore, and Alex is missing her presence and hating the DO. But they were working together, and it was kind of interesting to see the scene where they were talking to each other on the phone, and Alex was leaning against the wall in the hallway of the DO. Oh, yeah, like it's mirrored. Yeah, and then on the other side, we saw Kara leaning against her wall. So. Yeah, and then you find out that that was there to be secretly evil. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> but when I rewatched the episode, I was like, wow, they spent the whole episode intentionally building up how much the two of them were kind of leaning on each other and working together just so they could punch you in the face, yes. metaphorically and literally. At the end, yeah. it was great. One of the cool things with this episode, though, was we got to see Alex talk about things that really bother her and Kara be like the ear of support in the way that Alex Mm. usually is. So that was a nice role reversal, although it started stressing me out after a while because Alex was talking about all these work problems at work. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I was like, you don't do that, Alex. <laughs> well, the scene where she's like standing in the hallway, is this after Alex quote unquote debriefs and she walks in? Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure every viewer was like, oh my God, Haley's around the corner. <laughs> it was really funny. I give Alex props for being smart enough to stand at the intersection of all the hallways so that yeah. she could see if anyone was coming. She probably like checked to see where Haley was and like then went to have a conversation, like, you know, that she would yeah. be busy, but it's just from our point of view, we just know that she's in a hallway. Well, yeah. And that was definitely very intentionally meant to stress you out as a viewer, which like nicely done because it sure did. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we saw Alex lean on Kara and, and grappling with whether or not she should leave the DEO because of the like state it's in. Yeah, and I appreciate that they had that conversation to some extent because I did see a comment floating around about kind of like, why would you stay somewhere that's obviously terrible? And here's a reason why the state of public service is the way it is. Yeah. When everybody has this attitude of, well, it's not in my personal best interest to deal with this, so I'm going to leave, rather than thinking like, I think this can be better, and I want to make it better. <laughs> this is how you end up with governments full of trash people who support things like locking children in cages, yeah. as opposed to having real dedicated public servants who actually want to help people. <laughs> and Alex is definitely the latter. And she she recognizes that. And I mean, she kind of always did, but she's just so stressed out throughout all of this episode because she knows like the noose is tightening essentially. Mm. Yeah. And then she's also in the position where she can be made to do things that she like fundamentally disagrees with in her attempts to try to make things work out better. Well, yeah. And part of this is maybe something people don't realize until you go out and have work experience. You're going to run into those kind of politics no matter what kind of job you have, whether it's in government, whether you're in an artistic profession, whether it's business. Somebody at some point is either going to be horrible or they're going to ask you to do something that makes you uncomfortable. And it is is a life skill to learn how to deal with that. And I appreciate that we're getting storylines that delve into these things. Mm -hmm. And as someone who comes from a public service background in my family, I really appreciate the fact that the show is doing what it's doing, especially in the, in the time that we're in right now where you've got so many people vocally saying like, oh, the government's worthless. Being a public servant is terrible. No one should do it. And Alex, when she makes that decision, she's like, you know what? No, I came into this because there were things that mattered to me beyond just myself and just Kara. And I don't want to turn my back on that. Yeah. Much like Kara doesn't turn her back on being Supergirl because it would be more convenient for her at this moment in time. Yeah. So you had an observation that connects Alex's sort of state of mind and attitude about the situation to Alex's name. Yeah. This is actually kind of fascinating because Alex is the only original character so who isn't property of DC Comics and they got to create her. So part of that, obviously, when you create a character, you name the character and the name Alex and the full version of it, so Alexander or Alexandra, is rooted in a Greek word. And the Alex part of it specifically means to protect or help people. And that is such a core part of who she is that it's really amusing that Jean has the line about like protecting you is in her DNA. And it's mm -hmm. like, you no, know, literally, like that's what her name means. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> it's in the DNA of her character, the build up of what makes her her. Built right in. Yes. It's not going anywhere. 
anywhere. That will <laughs> never change. Like that is the core of her personality. You can take everything else away. That'll still be there. Mm, which we may be taking some things away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Why did you say that? No. <sighs> and it's cool to have that in, in contrast with when Alex is with Kara in Jean's office and and explaining the realization that Kara, it doesn't click for her when Alex is like, Jean's going to wipe everybody's mind. And Kara's initially kind of relieved and like, okay, good, we found a solution to the problem. And then you see like Brainy and Jean and Alex all like, this next part of the conversation's gonna suck. Um, <laughs> yes. But Kara's reaction when she realizes that this decision to wipe the memories has to include Alex is very like, that's little Kara kind of emerging mm. to some extent and being like, but you can just quit. You said you wanted to quit. We can, you know, we can find another way. We can fix it. And I think Kara already deep down knows that that's not realistic. Yeah. Because Alex is like, she's doing these interviews today. Mm-hmm. Like if Alex walks in and is like, I'm resigning like, out of <laughs> the blue. <laughs> just, just uh, abruptly. By the way, uh, <laughs> I've been meaning to say. <laughs> in the midst of this investigation, that's a red flag. And at that point, Haley's desire to investigate would never end because she'd immediately be like, well, why is Director Denver's quitting like today? Yeah. And not only that, it would spread the net of targets to people who aren't within the walls of the DEO. It would put everybody else beyond Alex then under suspicion as well. So it's it's not a viable option. <laughs> no, it's not. And I, Kara knows that. And that's why she's so upset. Yeah. She's in like a denial state. Yeah. But within that, it, we also have the nice thing where earlier in the episode, Kara says that Alex is the most determined person she knows. Then you have Alex say, you know what, I'm not going to let Colonel Haley win this. And she doesn't. But, woo. <laughs> At what cost? <laughs> That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But you had an interesting comparison between Alex's sort of resigned mindset toward this problem and something that happened in season one. Mm, Yeah. So I think because of the way Brainy looks at it and him being so math oriented and being like, there is a hundred percent rate of failure. Yeah. With this truth-seeking alien that's being brought in to find out if people know who Supergirl is. And Alex recognizes that there's no way around this. And it's such a striking contrast if you go back and look at her complete confidence that she can protect Jean in season one. Mm. And she's up against a lie detector test in that. So this is a nice kind of circle back around to that. And also, it's a really nice circle in the sense that the heart of this episode was those three characters, Cara. Alex and John and like the lengths that they will go for each other. Mm. So that was really great. It's interesting because we often see the lengths that they'll go for each other in ways that are external and like fighting really hard to keep Alex from shooting across the universe in a ship that's trying to fly away with cars like super strength and stuff like that. But we don't often see it where they're sacrificing something like interpersonally, like within their relationship in order to protect each other. Mm, Yeah. So then to go back to Harry Potter illusions that came to mind with this episode, you have Colonel Haley, very much like Dolores Umbridge from the fifth book, Mm -hmm. determined that she's going to get the information that she wants and using what is technically legal but questionable Mm. truth-telling serum. So it's called Verita serum. And you notice that that was interesting because the alien that they bring in, Brainy says, is called a virtularian. And both of those have roots in the word 
veritas, which is mm-hmm. Latin for truth. But the other thing that was interesting too is that this reminded me of Hermione's decision in um, the seventh book, where in order to protect her family, she decides to make them forget her. Yeah, it's like the same sort of decision. Very similar. Mm. And we see in this episode with several of the characters, this concept of like the ends justifying the means. With Haley, we saw her sort of rationalizing her decision to like torture aliens because they would be used for the government. Like basically the idea that whatever she did is okay because her end goal was a positive thing. With Kara and Alex, we see the ends, which are, you know, protecting Kara and by extension, Kara's loved ones, how they justify the means being Alex's decision to erase the awareness of Supergirl from her mind and that connection between the two identities. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about the ends justifying the means in the rest of this episode. Yeah. So that theme comes up again a few times, but the biggest weight of it hits in, pun intended, um, hits in this particular storyline. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking of ends justifying <laughs> the means, we also have the delightful moment where Haley starts really aggressively threatening not just Kara, yeah. but implying that she's going to like ruin the lives of everybody she knows yeah. or that like if Colonel Haley chooses to reveal who Kara is, it will put everyone in danger. Yeah. So it's interesting that the line when she is saying that Kara's family and friends will be in danger and... um, And Alex is like, well, that's enough of that. And just... flat out punches her in the face like it's beautiful it's an excellent moment and it really made me laugh because one of the items in alex's speech about things her mother taught her that she wants to teach a child someday included learning how to throw a punch Mm. and i would now like the backstory on the context for that because was it related to kara was it earlier in alex's life like i need to know all we know is that Eliza taught her how to punch and she did okay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, and then, so the other really like best part about this episode was just how strongly it tied back to season one in many, many ways. (laughs) And one of them, Kara flat out says, which I mean, we all know, but it was the way she said it was like absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, it sure was, Vivi. Kara says the whole reason I became Supergirl was it was to save you, which ties back into obviously the pilot episode when we saw Kara's first feat as Supergirl when Alex's plane was going to crash. Yeah, and actually, you know, this is going to be a fun season to rewatch. So like when we get to our hiatus in the summer, this will be fun to revisit Mm -hmm. because now the fact that they paralleled that rescue scene from the pilot in the first episode of season four makes a lot more sense in the way that they chose to do it. Mm. We didn't talk about this specifically, I think, when we did our episode for the season premiere this year, but I actually did um, like a side-by-side comparison of the scenes from the opening of season one, episode one, and season four, episode one. And what you see in those contrasts is also what you see in this particular scene. So in the pilot episode, you have Kara taking this huge risk and running out of a bar into the street and then vaulting off into the sky to go save Alex. And in this season, in the first episode, you had Jean with very almost identical staging <laughs> doing the same thing, working in connection with Alex to save Kara. Yeah, from falling out of the sky. And that's a lot of what both Jean and Alex did for Kara without her knowing prior to season one. And it's what they're doing in this episode again. Mm. And so it was really cool to to be able to see like there's been so much progress since season 
one. But at the end of the day, for as much as those relationships have changed, that core is still there. Yeah. It's interesting, even in terms of Jean, we didn't know how Jean felt in the pilot episode and first few episodes of season one, but he did care about them in that same kind of way. So Mm, that was the whole reason that he brought Kara into the DEO was to warn her about all the different things that were dangerous because she didn't take Alex seriously when Alex told her. Yeah. And look where we are now. (laughs) Yes. It's also interesting in terms of those dynamics because in that pilot episode, like before season one, Alex had kept her work with the DEO a secret Mm. from Kara. So she was basically leading a double life and kind of in the way you might as a superhero. So there's sort of an inverse here where now Kara is keeping the secret of her double life from Alex. And actually that choice too makes it a very clever way to get back to kind of that classic conflict in superhero stories. Yeah, I'm quite pleased with it. (laughs) In a way that this show has really drifted from to the point where it feels weird because like Lena's the only person who doesn't know. Nia, for now. And oh, Nia, that's true. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see if that dynamic between Carr and Alex, if we see hints of that. Um, oh, you mean kind of that like emotional distance that was there when mm-hmm. we used to see them early in season one? Yep. One of those things we talk about a lot where people sometimes forget that the Danvers sisters weren't, they had, they had rough patches where they weren't quite as connected and emotionally open with each other. So there was this level of distance because of the secrets and some baggage. But it'll be interesting to see now if they're is that kind of tangible distance between Supergirl and Alex because Alex won't know who Supergirl is. Mm, True. Well, and the other thing that was kind of interesting is like Alex knows obviously this is going to be very painful for Kara Mm -hmm. and she keeps trying to frame it in these like, speaking of language, in ways that make it sound like less terrible than it is. Mm. Um, Like you pointed out that she says, you know, it's not a lie. You're just keeping a secret. Yeah. Which I was wondering if if that had been how she perceived her secret about the DEO before season one. I would say maybe, but also like when she and Kara have the conversation during Alex's coming out episode in season two, Kara kind of says, you know, everything was always about me and my secret. Mm. So I think she's using language that Kara is going to recognize. Yeah. And say like, it's not, you're not lying to me. You're just doing the thing that we always did. Except now Kara is doing it by herself. Hmm. But it's also interesting to frame it that way in terms of their secret identity in general and being an alien. Mm. People have a certain perception of lies and like them being yeah. wholly negative things. And so like if, if somebody keeps the secret about their lives, they're lying to you and therefore it's a bad thing. But the framing of it as a secret, not a lie, makes it more like this is something that it's okay for you to have. Yeah. Be private. Um Yep. And then the other part of that scene that was really great was Alex just kind of saying, she's like, you know what, even if I were able to beat this truth seeking thing this time, there's still a chance that this won't end because this Colonel Haley's like on a mission. Yeah. Um, but she's also, you pointed out the fact that Alex has in the back of her mind, there have been other times when people have figured it out. Yeah. She specifically says like at the end of her spiel of the ways that Haley could uncover the truth about Carr's identity through Alex, you know, like a text or the fact that she shares information with Supergirl. She says, or simply the fact that you are my sister and I love you, which is basically the way that Maggie found out that Supergirl was Alex's sister in season two. Mm-hmm. She kind of put it together 
through Alex's reaction to Supergirl being in danger because she knew Alex's personality and how intensely she would protect her sister. Yeah. And the other important thing to remember there, which Alex also acknowledges, you know, human beings aren't perfect. Like for as guarded as Alex could be and as good as she is at compartmentalizing, the biggest security threat at the end of the day in like intelligence type things is human error. And she's a human being and she's around other people. Like we saw five or six people at least did know who Kara was because of just random Mm -hmm. things they overheard or saw or what have you. So the fact that she is recognizing like this is too big of a risk right now is really important in the way that that came up. Well, that's interesting in terms of how, you know, Kara grew up hiding this like thing about herself and how we see in her of like the slip ups that happen. And and she gets away with a lot specifically because people aren't expecting Mm -hmm. her to have the secret or her to be a superhero. Yeah. A lot of the times when Kara slips, she gets away with it because that's not the thing people are immediately going to assume. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the easiest ways of getting away with something like that is most people aren't paying that close of attention to everybody around them. Like, yeah. And it's funny that we saw in this episode, the fact that somebody didn't expect Kara to be Supergirl made them have a very dramatic and hilarious reaction. Brainy, when he found out that Kara was Supergirl after he boxed away his memory of it, he was like, she wears glasses. He found it laughable. It was just great. It was. And then when you realize that it was a foreshadowing scene mm. and the fact that Alex is like horrified that he doesn't remember and is like, wait yeah. a minute, is this permanent? Like nervous? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, you, when I went back and rewatched that, it made me so angry in a good way i was like really (laughs) really this was here Uh, yeah uncalled for Mm. but great but that's sort of also possibly like Uh foreshadowing further (laughs) that it might not be forever yeah alex sort of uncovering locked away memories over time perhaps Mm. but i really liked the way this turned out first of all because i was surprised which was awesome right (laughs) because we spend a lot of time like diving into the possibilities of what could happen in the show and doing meta well and week to week we were pretty on target with a lot of the things that happened from episode to episode Mm -hmm. in the beginning So (laughs) if you're good at understanding how stories work on TV, it's hard to be surprised sometimes. Yeah. Which means that they did a really good job. I know. I I was was like, like, oh my God. God. (laughs) It got me. I was like so excited. I was like, I didn't see this coming and I'm in pain, but it's great. Because we had theories about Alex possibly leaving the GEO and like maybe moving in. But like, I think that's not necessarily an option you can take off the table. Given that we just saw this awesome set for Sean. I didn't picture it happening. um, Like now. Yeah. In the shape that the DEO is in, I feel like it would have to... Mm. The idea that Alex would willingly leave right now didn't vibe with me. True. But the the other thing I really loved about this sort of plot twist and ending beat of the episode was basically how terrible it is in really specifically <laughs> in a way that plays on Alex and Kara's characters in the perfect way. Because <laughs> Alex is a character, her internal conflicts and like struggles are really centered around like discovering herself and embracing herself and being herself. Hmm. And then on the other hand, we have Kara's issues very often being about like feeling abandoned and alone. So Alex basically removing a piece of her life from her own mind, like 
like challenges Alex's identity and, and Alex's ability to be herself and preventing Kara as Supergirl from being able to connect to Alex and, and forcing Kara to keep the secret plays upon Kara's like abandonment issues and, and makes her feel more alone. Well, especially when you consider Alex is one of the only people who has known Kara just as all of the things Kara is yeah. for her entire life on Earth. Mm-hmm. So that's probably pretty up there with losing the rest of her family. Yeah. Remember Kara's face when she saw Alora last year? <laughs> I sure do. This is why Kara ran out of there. <laughs> Speaking of really excellent character choices, as devastating as those last few minutes were, <laughs> I was also kind of like a little bit delighted. Um, <laughs> in that as far as character obstacles for Alex, this really felt like the right choice mm. in a way, because really so far in canon, the only thing that we have seen that comes between Alex and her loved ones in like an impactful way is mind powers. Mm. She's had always since the beginning of season one, such a strong attachment to the Martians who are, you know, mind readers and very emotionally attuned. She herself is incredibly kind of mentally tough and resilient. But the biggest times when she's set against Kara and it takes more than like half an episode to (laughs) overcome it is when there's some kind of like mind control element involved. So Mm -hmm. the fact that this involved altering her memories or her perception of who Kara is felt very fitting to me because you had in season one her being controlled by Myriad and non-specifically because he realizes that Yuzhan's protecting her, she must be a value and like a threat. Another example of using Supergirl's loved ones. Um. Yeah, actually, exactly. <laughs> and then in season two, she was uh, body snatched by the white Martian. <laughs> And that one was fascinating because the Martian was trying to impersonate her and found it so annoying and difficult because of Alex's emotions that it was like irritated. (laughs) Yeah. And we saw that Alex was like more affected by it than when. Yeah. Because it was probably like a deeper, deeper dive. (laughs) And she explained that she was actually aware of some of what was happening because it needed her to be fairly conscious because it didn't feel confident that it could fake her. Mm to Jean or Kara convincingly enough to kind of like lure them <laughs> and then you had you know in season three you had the thing with Marin speaking of Marin we're gonna we're gonna talk about how that ties in mm-hmm. this episode in a minute when he's at the DEO and he's disturbing and disrupting everyone else's emotions and Alex is like normal Alex times a hundred <laughs> Where she like she defends Win, but then gets irritated at him and starts yelling at him, and then like punches everybody a little too hard, and then <laughs> and then within season four we had you know the incident in Elseworlds where we had an Alex who had no idea who Kara was, and it didn't even matter. Which like that that's foreshadowing, guys. <laughs> this will be fine eventually. Like things will come around. Which um, Elseworlds <laughs> actually connecting to right Supergirl? We were we complained after the crossover that the crossovers never matter for Supergirl and I was so I was like oh my god yeah finally (laughs) Carr referenced it and was like I was just somewhere where you didn't know who I was and I hated it (laughs) I know it's like a miracle it's okay Carr though Ultimately, it was okay. Ultimately, it was okay. And Alex, who had never heard of you or met you at all within like an hour, (laughs) was willing to fight people for you. It's fine. You'll be okay. (laughs) Your chances here are much better. Mm. Um, And you still have Papa Jean, so it's fine. (laughs) 
Speaking of, Jean was such an instrumental part of this story, too, mm. in a way that, again, was very like what we used to see a lot of in season one when there were more character-heavy episodes, yeah. and that was so great. Yes. One of the really most clear examples of this is we had a bunch of references to Jean's time impersonating Hank Henshaw at the DEO back, like, not only when Alex first was working there, but even before that, um, mm. the guy who was in charge of the project with the Morai recognized Jean when he brought Alex and Kara with him to confront him, but called him Henshaw, mm. which kind of uh, is putting that thought in your mind again, that like you should be thinking of how those character dynamics are working. Yeah. Plus um, the possibility that the original Hank Henshaw was involved in uh, whatever was going on yeah. with the aliens. Um, well, and it must have been because I went and double checked the timeline because Kara mentioned the year of the project and it was 2012. So uh, mm. Jean was definitely there as Hank, but like it was the year before he hired Alex. Hmm. Interesting. So it's curious that he wouldn't have known about it. So it's interesting to sort of go back to Jean's like long history with the DEO because it brings to mind the long way that he has come and the progress that the DEO has made basically because of Jean. Mm. And now we're seeing Haley basically systematically undoing everything that Jean worked for. Which again might feel a little reflective of reality. Yeah. So we, we see the DEO go back to using like lethal force and like guns with bullets as opposed to the weapons that Wynn came up with by Jean's order to like take aliens out without killing them. Haley's just like, why do we need that? <laughs> and then just generally going back to treating aliens like they aren't people. So the DEO is missing Jean. <laughs> yes. But he's busy off being a private investigator. I know. That was so exciting. It was very cool. Yeah. And it's interesting because we see him, his like certificate and the name on the door. He goes by John Jones, like like a very like human name. Yeah. it's Well, it's like the way you'd spell his name if you wanted to make it look more human. Yeah. Which is how he goes by in, in some of the comics. But it is interesting in this climate that John made that choice. Well, but that also means that he might be willing to work with anybody. It doesn't necessarily just mean aliens. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. And he, he'll have plenty of room for them. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. His new office is huge. It's massive and pretty. <laughs> But it's a great space in terms of, like, spending actual time there. Yeah, there's light. Like, yeah. It's not underground. It's, like, nice. It's it's pretty large. There's light. It's got, like, some dynamic like, shapes going on. It actually kind of reminded me a little bit of the elementary set for the brownstone hmm. with some of the way it was shaped. Yeah, that's fair. But it, like, matches Jean's, like, color palette that he uses for his clothing mm. and has these, like, cool spheres, artistic sphere designs and circular designs across the office. And it's, like, this rustic but alien style. So it was really interesting. So they did a good job with that set. Yep. And then Kara points out the best accessory in the yeah. entire thing. So A-plus set dressers. <laughs> Sean had a family photo with his kids on mm. his desk and it was the greatest thing I saw all day. Yes. If you if you want to go to our site, we'll have a screenshot of it because it's an adorable, ridiculous picture yes. of Jean and Cara and Alex, which again, is it was a deliberate moment that was calling your attention to the fact that that family dynamic was really the heart of this episode. Yeah. And it was great. Twice. And related to that, Brainy came in to approach Jean. Mm -hmm. Brainy comes over to Jean's office to try to get him to help Supergirl, like to try to pay him to help Supergirl. I love that he just had like 
wads of cash. <laughs> yeah. All the money that he's been paid by the DEO, apparently he somehow gets in cash and just <laughs> carries it around. Which is another moment that sort of reinforces the family bond where Jean is like, I'm not going to take your money. I'll help Cara any day of the week. Like, And Brady says that Jean is Supergirl's Girl Friday, which... Right. Was hilarious. But I also really enjoyed how Jean, like, didn't think about it, how weird it was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That he was like, he's the girl Friday. He just, like, was kind of serious and thinking about how Bernie was asking him to help Supergirl. So it was, like, a nice moment. I like when Jean, like, as a masculine figure in the show, isn't, like, afraid of feminine things, mm. which has been kind of a recurring thing, like, how he shapeshifts into Supergirl. Yes. He's wearing heels and it's not a whole thing. So it's a nice little touch. Speaking of Jean's shape-shifting ability, we kind of discussed this mm. last night when we were making notes. It's interesting that the whole reason all of this mess started was because Jean, in a solution to protect Kara and Alex, mm. chose to shape-shift into the director of the DEO. Yeah. And uh, there was an opportunity for that to happen. <laughs> last night there was also an opportunity and it, it crossed a few people's minds that i watched with was like you know if alex and or Kara were less good people they could have just left colonel haley to that alien's fate oh <laughs> and it would have solved the problem <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really, really interesting when you stop and think that Jean was willing to become Henshaw and kind of make all these questionable choices and run the DEO because he made that promise to Jeremiah that he would protect Alex and Carr. And that was ultimately what this episode ended up being about. Mm, yeah. Back to that concept of the ends justifying the means. Mm. Alex and Kara bring Jean over to the DEO and are like, we have a problem. Could you fix it? And Jean, like, reflects on the fact that this is against his values and, and like the vow that he made essentially yeah the like him's a non-violence vow he made because erasing someone's memories without their consent is is a form of violence and so he thinks about it and car is like like he doesn't have to they'll find we'll find another way but jean's like oh, i'll do it of course i'll do it which <sighs> right yeah and then ultimately oh there were so many layers to all of that and the use of memories but, mm. well, and the, there was something I kind of said to you when I finished watching this episode the first time. I was like, this reminded me a lot of Human for a Day. Mm. And that's episode 107. And at first you were like, that, why? <laughs> <laughs> and so I went back and rewatched that today after I looked at 410 again. And the reason was that that episode was really the tipping point at which Kara and Alex and Jean go from being kind of mistrustful of each other and distant to becoming the family unit that they clearly are in this episode. Because 107 is the episode where Jean tells Alex who he is. And it's the first real moment of openness where everybody's identities are clear and out on the table and mm -hmm. they all are starting to understand each other. And it was really looking at them back to back was fascinating because you see in 107, Alex is so mistrustful of Jean because she still thinks he's Henshaw and that he was involved in her father's death and all this other stuff. And then to see the relationship she has with him at the end of this episode where she is so willing to trust him to do this for her yeah. and to trust that he won't mess it up and that he has both her and Kara's best interests at heart was just like a really lovely continuity 
<laughs> from that early start where they were all caught up in kind of lying to protect each other and <laughs> unintentionally like emotionally hurting each other because there <laughs> yeah. were all these different lies happening. <laughs> and so it, it kind of was a really nice like full circle of all of that. Yeah. So it was great. <laughs> It's interesting to see them go from like having these secrets and protecting each other, but without the other person being aware of it or of like maybe approving of it across the trio's dynamic to now where it's sort of like Jean is helping Alex by hurting her and hurting Carr as well. And they like all have agreed to it. Yeah, but it connects to kind of some of the other things that we've talked about related to this theme. And this is going to seem weird. Um, <laughs> but in the sense of like, it felt very like one of those decisions that you might make when you have like an ill family member. Mm. And the only way to like make it better is to still do something that sucks. Yeah. But like it sucks less than the alternatives. <laughs> yeah. And that in turn, it goes back, you know, think to last season where Jean had his father with him only to realize that his father had a Martian form of Alzheimer's and was losing all of his memories. Mm. And Alex was the person he leaned on and who was with him throughout all of that. And now she's coming and asking him this. Yeah. So basically, he goes from having that happen to him to somebody he loves, Marin losing memories that are important to him, to now Jean making this choice to take away Alex's memories that she really values. So it's it's really cruel. <laughs> and stripping away, in a sense, I think we're going to see kind of a part of her identity and, and mm -hmm. how she understands herself and who she is as a person. Yeah. So it's just like the fact that he has to be the one to do that when he has that person that he just lost in that way. Yeah. But he's not the only person that this is difficult for because of past experiences. No. We learned in the course of that storyline last season that Alex remembers her grandmother losing all of her memories. So this cast is, it'll be interesting to see if that comes up in the fallout of this next week, because you know, that's going to be in her mind. Mm -hmm. And then also she was dealing with Sam when Sam was having all those blackouts and realizing she was losing time and didn't know why. Yeah. So it'll be a wild ride. And then the other thing. So the title of this episode was Suspicious Minds. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned that title over the summer in our Music of Supergirl episode of our podcast because it was one of the songs that came up in the karaoke night at the Alien Bar, which we actually saw a flashback to this season as well. Hmm. And specifically, it was Marin's karaoke song. Yeah. And it was the song he chose for the scene right before he finally tells Jean that he's losing his memories. Hmm. So that was a nice connection. And it's funny because us not knowing Alex was going to erase the memory of Supergirl being Kara from her mind, we had wondered when we saw the title Suspicious Minds, if there would be some element of, of like mind affecting powers in play. And there sure were. Yeah. <laughs> not the way anyone anticipated. No, not at all. <laughs> but there were. It took me a while to be like, oh, Jean can just go erase Haley's memory of Supergirl. Like, yeah. Well, the other key thing there, which they revealed, which is I think going to be where like the hopeful part of the next phase of this comes in yes. is when we had the Groundhog's Day moment of like he wiped the knowledge from Haley's mind. And then the next day she was like, so again, 
<laughs> Let's just repeat. And, and Alex explained it as, you know, he can take away the factual knowledge, but he can't take away the intentions. Mm. And whether Alex knows that Kara and Supergirl are the same person or not, the feelings that are in there and the intentions that she's always had to, to do good and be a protective force aren't going anywhere. Mm. So for as much as things might get stressful, <laughs> I think they're going to be okay yeah. eventually. Like Alex says, everything's going to be okay. Right? And that line's funny because we're seeing Alex be the one to say, like, everything's going to be okay. And Kara a few times has been like, like at the end of season three was like, we're, we're going to be okay. So it's, it's cool to see Kara be on a, like a downslope in terms of positivity. And then Alex is the one to say that things are going to be fine. Well, yeah, but that also comes back around to the fact that Kara has always been very clear since the very beginning that she needs Alex to believe in her and her ability to accomplish things and to know that things will work out okay. Yeah. So. Um, especially when it came to being Supergirl. So this is a real like challenge. Kara's going to have a rough time for a while. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that like they keep it going for a little bit. Supergirl has a tendency to wrap up things pretty quickly, which sometimes is nice, but sometimes they blow through things that could have more angles displayed. Yeah. Well, this was so great in a way because it takes the, the things that we know and love about the characters and pushes them into a really interesting place. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, from a writing and a storytelling standpoint, you want to go to those places. And from giving your actors a challenge, mm -hmm. you want to do that as well. And we got some really great performances out of this episode. So yeah. I am excited that there will be more. Me too. So speaking of like hope. <laughs> hope, indeed. But kind of not. <laughs> In like, I hope this goes well, but it might not. <laughs> In like the way that there's hope, but it's also troubling. Um <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, Lena and James and their dynamic this episode. I enjoyed them this episode. Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> they said some troubling things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which I feel like is going to be a repeat theme. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting because some of the things that we've talked about with these characters and, and like areas that they need to improve. like As people? As characters, like where they need to develop next. Just like we talk about our favorite characters as well. Like the direction that they should go. Mm. Lena and James both had progress, but also not. <laughs> so we have James. So James and Lena sort of rekindle their connection. And James tells Lena that he had like a revelation that he says, I get it. Sometimes the ends do justify the means, which is their, like him stating outright one of the biggest themes of the episode. Because he had this revelation because of his time with the Children of Liberty when they held him at gunpoint. And either he blows up a monument or they kill someone and he's willing to blow up the monument. And he sort of compares that to how Lena, when she went behind James's back to keep him from going to jail, Lena wanted to save James. So basically, he sort of understands that choice better because he made a similar choice. Yeah. And in terms of James's character, it's like sort of progress in the sense that he says, I jumped on my moral high horse and rode it into the sunset and I felt pretty justified about being angry. And James's sort of like righteous indignation is something that we've pointed out in the past about the character and how he has this sort of like moral high ground and, and isn't always really understanding of the people he disagrees with. The thing is that he's not necessarily wrong in those cases. It's just the fact that he's not very understanding. Like when Kara had the Red K incident where she said all those terrible things about everyone and James was really shocked that she had that kind of anger in her. Mm. Like he's not wrong to 
want some space from her and not be able to really like ignite a relationship with her after what like literally just happened. But he's also not very like empathetic to the fact that Kara was like a person who has bad thoughts like everyone else does. So it's like a running theme with the character. And one of the more interesting things about him, I think. And now we see him, like, sort of taking the realization that he has this trait too far, where it's not just that he isn't understanding, it's that the other person was actually right the whole time. So now he is making himself more open to the things that Lena is doing, and then we all know that Lena's doing some questionable things. But in the instance with, specifically, Lena trying to give humans powers, it does make sense that James, who had that whole struggle in season two regarding Guardian with Kara and, like, the fact that he doesn't have powers, he's not an alien, so he shouldn't be a superhero. It makes sense for the character to maybe want humans to have powers. And then in terms of the other person in the relationship who makes kind of progress, maybe. Well, she sort of asks for help, yeah, in a way. Which is what we have been talking about with her character, where she doesn't let anyone like be a check on her actions and her decisions. Like she's just unilaterally doing things that affect a lot of people. And she like reaches out to at least one other person in James to like see how he feels about what she's doing. Except she doesn't get too far into specifics with it. No. <laughs> I love the way she opened the question, like speaking of language. <laughs> yeah. It was really great. She's like, so you know how there's those things I do? <laughs> Sometimes, like, yeah, that's real big and questionable, yeah, Lena. She's like, uh, you know how you said you were going to be open-minded about the things I sometimes do? Like, you know, you know what that sounds like. Like, that's not a good start. You know that you're in the wrong if you're saying it like that. And so she she sort of opens it up a little bit, like just like the base concept James gets a peek at. But again, he he doesn't know all the details and like the extent to which. No, because she specifically mentions testing the heart. She neglects to mention that she tested it on a person. Mm, yeah. <laughs> And then she also is asking him after she knows for a fact that he's like trying to be more open minded. So it's like not a genuine concern that she's doing the right thing so much as it is like seeking out validation for the actions that she's already pretty committed to. And James is, as you know, the character that we described who keeps very strongly to his his moral ideals. Having his approval is is got to be like super validating. <laughs> super. <laughs> Yes. Well, the other thing I was going to say, too, is that in a very Luther kind of way, Lena waits to open that conversation until she's already kind of like got him in a position where he's willing to more likely to say yes. And then we also run into the situation with these two characters where it's like neither of you are the person that should be making the decision to begin with. Like Lena's making the choice to fix the problem of xenophobia by giving humans powers when the people they're trying to help, you know, aliens, probably wouldn't approve of this. So this is why we need committees <laughs> to make decisions for things and don't do things in secret in your basement. <laughs> <laughs> Other kind of like fun things we got out of those scenes with James and Lena is number one, Lena officially has a place to live. Yeah. So congratulations, every main character. That's two new places this episode. Yes. Two new sets in this episode. I was kind of initially like, oh, this was a, a money saving episode because it was kind of like a lot of it took place in the DEO, but we did have two new sets. And we also found out that James won the bake off at his college, like fraternity sorority. <laughs> 
which is super dorky and amazing. And also, Kara, you missed out. The man was making souffle. He likes to cook. What were you thinking? She could probably still rope him to come over and <laughs> do she it. She probably but. could still persuade him to cook for her. But like, Kara, <laughs> you, fool. you missed a good opportunity at the end of season one. You know, maybe if he had displayed those skills earlier... <laughs> That's true. But it is funny that we have like James is like one of the only confirmed people who can cook anything. <laughs> but then I also, I don't know if we've seen John cook, but we've seen him wear an apron. And I feel like. <laughs> yes. And well, we didn't see him cook, but we saw the food he made. True. We did. Okay. Because Alex was over there for dinner. And uh, he brought out the turkey. <laughs> Oh, yes. And he did help with Thanksgiving. Although that's usually Eliza does most of that and Kara helps. Oh, no. Oh, next Thanksgiving could be rough, man. (laughs) Cara can't roast the turkey. Everybody's stressed. There's going to be more confession. There we, that's how we get Thanksgiving confession confession back. It's like Cara's the one. (laughs) By the way. Now it's Cara's turn. (laughs) Speaking of Cara. Yeah. Speaking of Cara and uh, her role as both James and Lena's friend. Yeah. I affectionately call her their like couples therapist because she's so involved. Like every time they have something going on together, Cara's like there talking to at least one of them about it. <laughs> the designated friend. <laughs> and then you had an observation about her scene with Lena specifically toward the beginning of the episode. I did. This is to come back and punch you in the emotional face. Um, as we're prone to do. Yes. Like, Alex got to do some punching. Now it is our turn. (laughs) So that scene that we get of Kara and Lena, which is, you know, Kara's not at all serious version of training. (laughs) It's meant to be funny. It's meant to give you a a moment to enjoy in an episode (laughs) full of sadness. Yeah. But it also is a reminder of exactly what Kara is dreading Mm -hmm. when she realizes what's going to happen because of Alex no longer knowing that she's Supergirl. Kara is going to have to lie to her the same way she lies to Lena, only so much more often, and it's going to be a lot worse. (laughs) Way more complicated and worse. Yeah. We've heard Kara talk about like multiple times how difficult it is for her to continue lying to Lena. So I'm worried for Kara. So it's going to be stressful. Yeah. But I mean, at least she has Jean. It'll be interesting to see if she gets a little bit more time with James. Hmm. Um, Because we haven't, like every once in a while she'll talk to him about it, but she's been rather distant from him because of all of what he's been up to with the children of liberty. Yeah. So I think what we might see is her moving more in the direction of um, Brainy and Nia. Yeah. Next episode, probably. (laughs) Immediately. Maybe. (laughs) With Nia, given the description of the episode. Which takes us to Nia, who had a little subplot with Brainy, in which he tried to enlist her in the Super Friends, encourage her to become a superhero, essentially. And he gives her a book of, um, like, sketches of what her, like, super suit would look like. Yeah, and it even had, like, color swatches for fabric, which was awesome. <laughs> he's, he's detailed in his work. He is very thorough. But if anyone has seen the super suit online, you'll note that the colors that they use are, like, white and blue. And Nia's wardrobe this episode was all blue. She was wearing blue in every scene, and even her, like, bedroom, the walls were painted blue. So, just an interesting touch. Mm. And similarly, in terms of 
nice touches and kind of connecting ideas together. We had the cut from Alex hugging Kara and trying to console her before they do the memory wipe to a cut of Nia getting a phone call from her sister mm. who we're going to meet in the next episode. Yeah. Um, so that was a very cool kind of like mental continuity thing and potentially a plot continuity thing. Perhaps. It will be interesting. Nia also had this misunderstanding with Brainy. Oh, bless. Where during the phone conversation, when she asked if Brainy was asking her out, he interpreted that as just like going out somewhere. <laughs> he didn't realize that she meant as a date. And that backfires. So once Brainy realizes that Nia had this impression, he says, like, I never thought anyone as beautiful as you would be interested in someone like me. And then Nia reacts kind of like, well, I'm not sure that I am interested in you, which is an interesting response. I wonder if she was trying to be like, like aloof. Oh, yeah, maybe. Kind of like how we saw her in their first like interaction together at the end of that when she was like, you'll find me. I wonder if she's like playing into that too much. But mm. Brainy took it very seriously and said that he realized he messed things up. It was an interesting contrast to another little moment with Brainy in terms of like social missteps in his scene with Jean where he said some some would say launching a PI shingle is a bit old fashioned. And then he like looks like he realizes that that sounds bad and then says, then again, you are very old. <laughs> like it's a, a positive thing. Um, Which isn't better. Like he fixed it. <laughs> and then John just laughs and, and takes it in stride. And John's probably more likely than Nia to have that sort of understanding of Brainy's like alienness in a way. Well, Nia's also an alien, but she seems fairly like integrated. So we'll have to see what her home is like back in her hometown in the next episode to see what those sort of relationship dynamics are. Yeah. And well, the other kind of curious things that we got with Brainy in this episode were you see him very actively kind of watching out for both Carr and Alex. And he's almost as stressed out about everything that's <laughs> happening as the rest of them are. Yeah. He is going around trying to build up a support network for Carr, which makes me wonder if he knew this was coming. Because he starts doing all of this before Alex realizes that, like, oh, they have a real problem. Mm. And he's also, because he can manipulate his knowledge of reality in a different way, he is definitely kind of keeping an eye out for Alex as well. Yeah. Throughout the episode, which was interesting to see. And especially since we've seen, like, little snippets of knowing that he hangs out with them sometimes, like, outside of work. Yeah. It'll be neat to see if how that goes. Um, it was a, a couple of like sweet beats for yeah. the character. And also the really cute scene um, where he's all sore after he gets knocked off the thing and Alex yeah. is kind of giggling at him like, really? Yeah. We did get a little more insight into his backstory, which I wonder if that will play into kind of when we get the like final big bad mm. reveals later in the season. I, I wonder if that might end up being a tease for, for season five. Or Oh, yeah, true. That could be. So we'll have to see how that all turns out. Something interesting about the episode, we had two female writers and a female director. Yes, it was the first female director they've had all season. Yeah. So that's ex and there's another one next week. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that this is when they're all coming in. With Supergirl, though, it does tend to be later on in the season. I don't know why. It's definitely related to scheduling because mm -hmm. the directors actually do rotate between all of the Arrowverse shows. Yeah. Many of them. So it could just be like what order they get certain things on the schedule. But it's always interesting to see how different kinds of storylines are handled and if, if the gender of the director makes a difference. And sometimes, yes. Mm. And we also got some news during the hiatus that Jeremy Jordan won't be returning this season. The writer said that probably next, like early next season. Yeah. They wanted to give him enough story space to do whatever they're planning. Well, the schedule just didn't work out because his um, show on Broadway literally just wrapped like yeah. within the last couple of weeks and they're already 
planning like the end of their se- the season for season four. So yeah, they, they have a lot of things that need to connect. And yeah, so this episode ended on a little bit of a cliffhanger because the last thing we see is Jean preparing to change Alex's memories. So we don't quite know how Jean's powers work in detail. We <laughs> we don't know how Alex is going to behave after this or what kinds of psychological like real life things it might resemble or not resemble. <laughs> so these are all fun consequences we will find out (laughs) next week i'm looking forward to it it's going to be stressful but it'll Mm -hmm. be interesting part of me wonders if it isn't going to be as prevalent in the episode as the promo would indicate Mm. because we have the other storyline with Kara and nia and then also something there was oh yeah there was the thing in the summary that made me that made me laugh and go oh my gosh is this a secret black lightning crossover because it was like alex deals with a street drug that gives people powers Mm -hmm. and i was like so green light <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah because it's green because of the we saw in the rather the fallen angel episode that it's green so true be fitting look dude i am all for someday a crossover with black lightning and supergirl because tonally they're like the two closest to each other mm. and also in terms of being more female centric they're nice matches in some ways yeah. but we'll see <laughs> i mean i don't think it's related at all but the way the summary described it i was like <laughs> this sounds like the plot of a black lightning episode and that's weird yeah so the summary described a couple of th- like we have the Nia in her hometown at the Harvest Festival with Kara plotline and then Alex dealing with the green light like <laughs> substance <laughs> substance um probably Lena and James involved in that as well and then we also have the storyline of the memory stuff but like I, f- I feel like those plot elements are just going to be kind of like support for the bigger problem, which is Kara trying to figure out how to have her relationship with Alex. But then it's interesting to put her with Nia, who also doesn't know her as a whole person. Yeah. Well, in terms of like it being resolved, like when it's resolved, mm. I'm wondering if some of the flashes we see of like Alex realizing things, if that happens toward the end of the episode as opposed to being a central like a right at the beginning, like problem yeah. that they're facing right then. Yeah, maybe. So we'll see. Well, we'll find out. We're looking forward to it. Yes. All right. So that wraps up this episode of Supergirl's Attic. You can contact us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram if you have any comments. And thank you for listening.